the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, you are the good shepherd, and you call us by name. You know us. You call us your friends. You call us to communion with you and with the Father and the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for the gift of faith. We thank you for the gift of salvation. We ask for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit to come upon us this morning, to open our eyes, to open our hearts, to open our minds, to open our bodies, to receive your blessing, your peace, your life, your truth, your goodness, your beauty, your friendship. Mother Mary, we entrust this time to your immaculate heart and to the protection of St. Joseph. We crown you, Mary, the queen of our morning as we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we can add today, St. Peter, pray for us. Today is the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter. So I want to start this morning with John chapter 10. The Good Shepherd. St. John's Gospel, chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not heed them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hireling and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life 
for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will heed my voice. So there shall be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This charge I have received from my Father. Let's fast forward to verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So there's a lot there to contemplate, but I wanted to highlight the fact that Jesus knows us. Jesus knows you. This is really important. This is really important. Last night we meditated on our identity as daughters of the Father. We talked about the free gift of divine adoption, that we didn't really do anything to earn that or to deserve that, but that God wanted to give it to us. He wanted to give it to you. He wanted to create you. He wanted to redeem you. He claimed you for himself, by himself. So you belong to him. But another fundamental truth that we need to pray to appreciate more today is that God knows me. God knows you. So Lord, help me to appreciate today more that you know me, that you know me by my name and that you love me, that you care about me, that you are with me and you've always been with me like a good shepherd who never abandons his sheep. God knows you and he's always been with you and he has always known you. He's always known what you've thought and what you have felt. And he has been with you in those moments. The good times and the bad times, the sad times and the joyful times, the struggles and the triumphs. Lord, help us to know this. Help us to appreciate this. That you've always been with me. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Have it to the full. I still remember when John Paul II preached this in Denver in 1993. Was anybody else in Denver in 93? No? Okay. For World Youth Day? Yeah. I wasn't a seminarian yet. I was already thinking about the priesthood. But John Paul II believed this with every fiber of his body, right? God, he was speaking to us young people. There were only like three-quarters of a million people there for Mass that morning <laughs> at the foot of the Rockies in Cherry Creek State Park. You know, Dear young people, be not afraid. You know, 
God is with you. And he came that we may have life and have it abundantly, have it to the full. And again, we just have to appreciate this, that this is what God wants for us in our relationship with him. That he is that kind of friend who wants to fulfill the desires of your heart. We're going to stay more in this mode yet during this first block of time this morning, and then we'll switch gears a little bit at, uh, at 10.30. But I think for these next couple hours, we just want to keep appreciating more and more who God is and, and what we mean to him and what he wants to be for you. Again, we're praying, Lord, please improve, please restore and perfect the image that I have of you. And I think seeing Jesus as a good shepherd who knows you, who loves you, who is with you, who will never abandon you, that's really important. Because undoubtedly throughout our lives, there were times when we didn't feel like he was with us or that we felt alone, we felt abandoned, we felt rejected because we weren't aware of his presence. We didn't have that capacity. We didn't have that deep faith. And so we were wounded. Because the enemy, the robber, comes to steal and kill and destroy. It's in the same verse, John 10.10. And that's always been the agenda of the devil. That's always been the agenda of the enemy. Satan and his minions, that is their agenda, to steal and kill and destroy. He's always been envious of us. And out of envy and in his own pride, out of hatred for us, he tries to steal and kill and destroy our lives. And he's always trying to drive a wedge between us and God. How does he do that? By lying, right? He's the father of lies. And that's why the battle is in the mind. Dear sisters, look at me and hear me. The battle is in the mind, right? This is where the battle goes on each and every day from the very moment you wake up until the moment you fall asleep at night. The battle is in the mind. Why? Because this is, the mind is, as I said last night, what is the object of the mind? It's truth, right? And in John 8, 32, Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. The truth will set you free. Free from what? Free from all of the devil's lies, his traps, and and that bondage. So Jesus came to set us free from sin and the effects of sin. He came to bring about communion with the Father by destroying the devil. This is the good news. But it helps us to remind us, it helps, to, it helps us to remind ourselves of some of these fundamental truths, right, of, of salvation history. God created us good, fundamentally very good, right, in his image and likeness. 
But then early on, Adam and Eve were tempted by the devil. Again, the devil was trying to drive a wedge between Adam and Eve and, and God. And he succeeded. And we've suffered ever since. <laughs> but ever since that happened, God has always wanted to repair that damage. He's always wanted to bring about communion. He's always wanted to, to call us back. They've tur they turned away from God, and God was always trying to bring us back. That's the word repent has that connotation to turn back. It's not just to be sorry for your sins, but it has this implication of, of turning back as does conversion, right? To turn around. And it also has certain references to the mind and our thoughts. Like having, having come to a certain knowledge, a new knowledge, I can't be the same. I need, to, I need to change my direction. I need to change my thinking. And if I change my thoughts, I'll change my, my words and my behaviors, right? Again, that's why the mind is so important. That's why we have to ask the Lord every day, Lord, renew my mind. I pray that every day. It's in the, it's in the prayer there. Lord, renew my mind. Because every time we sin, our intellect is darkened. If you don't know that, right? Every time we sin, no matter how big or how small, because it's a turning away from God who is light, who is love, who is truth and goodness and beauty. Every time I turn away from that, I necessarily look to the dark. You know, I, I am darkened. My intellect is darkened. My heart is hardened and my will is weakened. Those are the three, you could say those are three effects every time we sin. My intellect is darkened, my heart is twisted, and my will is weakened. So I'm no longer able to perceive beauty with my heart. And with my will, I'm not able to choose the good as, as, as well as I would like to. Remember where the heart looks for that beauty. The will wants to choose the good. But every time I, I, I sin or, or feel the effects of sin, I'm disabled in a sense. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus talks about who he is again. He's in the temple, or rather he's in the synagogue at Nazareth. Luke 4, 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And he went to the synagogue as was his custom on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And there was given to him the book of the prophet Isaiah. He opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me 
because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. In other words, to preach the truth. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So it's a reference to Isaiah 61, if you want to read that later. Isaiah 61. So again, this is why Jesus came. And this is what he wants to be for all of us. Just flipping back to John's gospel there and and the good shepherd, how Jesus explains how intimately he knows us. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Wow. I mean, as the Father knows Jesus, as Jesus knows the Father, that's how he knows us. So just so personally, so intimately. They're always thinking about you. God is always thinking about you. He's always paying attention. And he always cares. He always cares. He has always cared. Even if we weren't aware of that. And so we ask God to help us turn back to him. To help us repent. And as we continue to pray for healing, pray for repentance, conversion, holiness, wholeness, you know, it's all related. I think it's a nice play on words in English. Holiness and wholeness. Because when we're, you know, if we say of, well, she's solid, you know, or he's really solid. You know, we, we, we all have a sense of what that means, right? And Jesus was as solid as they come. There were no cracks. The devil, you know, tried to get at him every which way. No luck. Because he was solid. He was whole. He was holy. <laughs> the Holy One par excellence. And, and that's what the Lord wants for us. Yes, even this side of heaven. He wants us to be healed. He wants us to be whole. But it takes a little bit of work, right? <laughs> it takes a little bit of work. He wants us to cooperate. He wants us to cooperate. Because in that process, as I've discovered, because I've been on this journey myself and you listen to those three women and how Bob I don't know if you heard that but Bob complimented those three women in the podcast this morning you all have done your work and you're still doing it but because you've been doing the work you can speak to others about this work that you've done you can talk about the journey because you've already been on that journey and let's face it it's a journey most people never start 
most of the people in the pews that you sit next to. And you know that's already a a reduced number of people, right? Because there should be a lot more people in the pews every Sunday. But even among the people who are in the pews, most of them have never started this journey that I'm proposing to you today, this weekend. Why? Because it's not easy, right? It's not comfortable. It necessarily involves discomfort (laughs) and pain, right? But if you can work through that, if you can push through that, Oh my gosh, there's so much more freedom on the other side. But that takes faith, right? That takes trust. And it takes hope. It takes love. Right? It, it implies, you know, embracing the cross. Right? And, and just allowing the cross and the resurrection, you know, to become something real for you. So some of you know that uh, five years ago, almost to the day, <laughs> it was probably like last week, or, but five years ago, 2015, uh, I went on my first retreat with Bob Schutz, the doctor that you heard in the podcast this morning. And it was four priests only, and there were just nine priests on the retreat from around the country, diocesan, religious, young, old. One older priest said, yeah, I just Googled retreats in Florida, and this popped up, So, because he was from the Northeast, and it was February. He's like, that sounds good to me. So he was like, okay, this is going to be interesting. You know, it was much more than he bargained for, much, much more than he bargained for. But he was a real good sport, he was, and I'm, obviously the Holy Spirit was going to use it for a lot of good. So Bob was there with his brother Bart who's got a really neat story himself, uh, and this woman, Kim, that they work with very closely. And so between the nine of us, we had a chance to pray with one of those team members for an hour uh, privately at two different times during the week. And I, luck of the draw, I got to pray with Bob, the author of the book and of the ministry. So we're there one-on-one, we're praying, we're you know doing this inner healing thing. I'm like, okay, I really don't know what I'm doing, but... Let's go for it. And there was no real show of emotion whatsoever for like the first 50 minutes. And then all of a sudden, as we're wrapping up the prayer, uh, he goes, okay, let's just give thanks for this time of prayer. And and then we got to get to, you know, it's time for mass. Okay. So as I do that, uh, you know, it's like I stepped on a landmine or something because all of a sudden I just started to wail. But like, you know, snot coming out of my nose and everything, wail, you know, really ugly wail. I'm like, whoa, where did that come from, you know? And he was just kind of looking at me, shocked himself. And he's like, okay, well, uh, we'll have to come back to that. (laughs) Something happened. (laughs) And that's kind of how this goes. You know, every once in a while, you know, you just kind of touch on something and you know, there's a release. There's a release, and there's freedom there, because we we tend to hold on to things, right? We tend to bury things, and again, that doesn't help, right? That doesn't allow for this abundant life. This doesn't allow for the freedom that God wants for all of us, and the joy. 
There's another really good book. It's not a religious book, but it's called The Body Keeps the Score. The Body Keeps the Score. And Bob, I'm sure, has read it. Uh, but he, well, he, he knows that it's true, that you know, as we go through life, we experience things, and, and those painful things we, we do tend to hang on to. And they affect us. And they're going to come out one way or another. You know, as I like to say, they usually <laughs> come out sideways if we try to control it. And some of you have heard me use this analogy of the orange. You know, when you squeeze an orange, what do you expect to come out? Orange juice, right? So when you squeeze a Christian, when you squeeze a Catholic woman, what do you expect to come out? Jesus, right? <laughs> Well, if something other than Jesus comes out of you from time to time, you know, more often than not in particular circumstances or whatever, then you should pay attention to that, right? Whenever something other than Jesus comes out of you, ask the Holy Spirit, okay, what was that all about? Don't be condemning, and that's what I've learned, right? Through this process, you learn not to condemn yourself which we tend to do, right? We tend to be very hard on ourselves. And that is not the goal of this retreat. This is not the goal of this exercise, to be critical of ourselves, to be hard on ourselves. Because you've already been way too hard on yourselves up until now. You know, that's, that's just our, that's the world we live in. It's the world you all were brought up in. You know, United States, right? In a first world country here, <laughs> you know, very results-based, right? What kind of, from the time we're kids, you know, what grade did you get, right? Did, what kind of a trophy did you get? Where are you going to school? What, what job do you have? What degree do you have? Where do you live? What car do you drive? What clothes do you wear? Where do you shop? You know, all these things, right? And it's just constant. It's nonstop from the time you were all little girls, right? And it's even worse for girls today, for those of you who are raising girls or got grand girls or, you know, it's just nonstop with the phones and the computers and everything. And it's toxic, it's really toxic because it wears on them in a way that's so unhealthy. And boys too, it, it affects the boys as well, for sure, in different ways, but so we have to kind of just be aware of that and then realize, okay, there is a different way. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be so hard in a sense. You don't have to be perfect, right? And in our minds, so often times, you know, we, we put this pressure on ourselves and we have these expectations that do not come from God, that do not come from God. And so the Lord comes to heal. I've got, this is a really good book too. It's called Healing, Dr. Mary Healy on healing. And uh, she quotes Pope Benedict here. This is page 30. And I'll read this here. In response to another complaint about 
his fraternizing with sinners, in this case Zacchaeus, the tax collector, Jesus summed up his mission with a succinct phrase, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Greek verb for save, sozo, can also be translated heal. So whenever we say that Jesus saves, you can almost always interchange saves with heals. Jesus saves, Jesus heals. It is the same word used in many of his healings. The Gospels do not allow us to create an artificial separation between Jesus' healing of bodies and his saving of souls, as if only the second really counts. Rather, there are two dimensions of his one work of healing salvation. Two dimensions of his one work of healing salvation. So he went about healing people physically and spiritually. The two went together. He showed, I mean, the physical healings were more apparent, right? They were more obvious. Those were signs which pointed to another reality, the, the healing of the heart, the saving of souls. As Pope Benedict XVI wrote in his book, Jesus of Nazareth, quote, healing is an essential dimension of the apostolic mission and of Christian faith in general. It can even be said that Christianity is a therapeutic religion. Pope Benedict XVI said that. A religion of healing. When understood at a sufficiently deep level, this expresses the entire content of redemption. End quote. When understood at a sufficiently deep level, this expresses the entire content of redemption. Mary goes on here, Jesus ultimately came to heal humanity's deepest wound, the wound of our sin, and consequent alienation from God with all its consequences of spiritual and physical brokenness. So sin is the deepest wound that we suffer our own sin and then the effects of other people sinning against us, right? But all of the suffering in this world came through sin. We can't forget that. All of the suffering in this world is a result of sin. We can't forget that. That death itself entered the world through sin. Death was a consequence of sin. We can't forget that. But because, you know, it goes all the way back, what decades? Paul the sixth, sixth said, now St. Paul the sixth, right? That the loss of the sense of sin is one of the greatest tragedies of modern times. So, I mean, he said that back in the, back in the 60s, 50 years ago. One of the greatest tragedies of modern times is the loss of the sense of sin. Not that we should be so ashamed of ourselves, but that we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that all of the evils that we encounter are a result of sin. That sin introduced disorder into the world. That's another way of saying it. All of the disorder, all of the dysfunction, all of the confusion, all of the hurt, it's a result of sin. And Jesus comes to save us from that and all of the effects of that. I think just that can really help us to be humble. 
and to be hopeful at the same time. That the answer does not lie with us, with us men. And that's why, you know, we have to cooperate, of course, with the grace of God. But ultimately, the solution to our problems comes from God. Right? You want peace in the world? You can't manufacture peace. You want happiness? You can't manufacture happiness. There's no man-made happiness. Put that on your refrigerator, you know? There's no man-made happiness. There's no man-made peace. Doesn't happen. And we've tried, you know, for centuries, for millennia, to try to construct our own peace, our own happiness. Doesn't work. Just doesn't work. And yet generation after generation, you know, we make the same mistakes, right? <clears throat> Imagine how patient God is, right, when he looks down at us. He's like, oh, children, oh. <laughs> when are you going to learn? You know, when Jesus cried over Jerusalem as he was coming down over Mount Olivet, the Mount of Olives, right? And he saw Jerusalem, he's like, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, uh, how many of the prophets have you killed, and now you're going to kill me too, the Son of God, Savior of the world. You know, how, how hard-hearted we can be, how hard-headed we can be. So Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make my heart more like yours. So humility is truth. You know, you just have to pray for that. Humility is truth. It's getting in touch with the truth. You know, we have that expression in English, get real. <laughs> get real. Well, that's another way of saying be humble. Just be humble. Get in touch with the truth. Get in touch with reality. The word humble in, in Latin, if you look at the roots there, actually has something to do with the ground, the earth. You know, when we say someone is down to earth, we have that expression in English. Well, there's real meaning behind that, right? When we say someone's down to earth, don't we understand that they're a humble person? They're easy to relate to. Why? Because they're in touch with reality. Right? Oh, it's, it's all related. Right? It's all related. And that's why Jesus said of himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. And I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. I am the way to the Father. I am the way to happiness. I am the truth that sets you free. And I came to give you eternal life, abundant life. He is the only way. right? And that's not to be snobbish or to look down on others but it's it's to embrace it fully so you know we've when you do the spiritual exercises which we really can't do in a weekend but you know we're going to touch on the different themes and here we are in this Jesuit, you know, house. 
So St. Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits, he's the one who wrote the original spiritual exercises. So it was a retreat of 30 days, divided into four weeks, as he would say. So the first week was principle and foundation. So all of these things we're talking about right now, principle and foundation. Because we can't go on without this firm foundation, without this truth, these fundamental foundational truths. But all of, you know, how politically incorrect are some of the things I just said in the last 10 minutes, right? And it's no wonder why our world is the way it is, right? Welcome to 2020, right? And who would have thought, right? Who would have thought that we would be here where we are today debating the things that we're debating? I mean, just think about it, right? It's so crazy. And why is that? Because God has been taken out of the equation, right? God has been taken as, uh, what was Father John Richard Newhouse? He used to say, you know, the naked public square. (laughs) The naked public square. It's like, yeah, you take God out of that and it's chaos and confusion. And, and, and the polarization, the hatred, the fear, the fear. Just, you know, I, I don't even, I don't watch the news anymore. I gave up on that a long time ago. But, like, from what little I read or watch, you know, it's you can, the, the fear and the hatred that motivates so many of the conversations. It's, it's just toxic. And it's so irrational. It's so irrational. Because God is reasonable. <laughs> Our faith is reasonable, right? Faith and reason. John Paul II wrote an encyclical about that. Faith and reason. Our faith is reasonable. We can't reason everything, like we can't prove everything scientifically, but that's where faith comes in and elevates our reason, actually, and, and helps us to see beyond the material, physical world. But it's so amazing what we're, you know, as, sci- as this one woman, Caroline Leaf, some of you know that I've listened to and talked about this Dr. Caroline Leaf and the mind-body-spirit connection. But she likes to say, yes, yeah, science is finally catching up with faith. Because so much of the wisdom that we read in Scripture, you know, for centuries, hasn't been able to be proven scientifically. But today, science is finally catching up with faith. And when we talk about renewal of the mind, we're now realizing how powerful our thoughts are. That what we think, and, and, and make a distinction between the mind and the brain, right? The brain is an organ, a physical organ, but the, the mind is an immaterial power that we have as human beings. Our mind allows us to think. And the thoughts that we think with the mind do actually leave physical imprints on the brain now. We can see that. And we can change them. We can literally dissolve negative thought patterns that we've had, and we can build new ones. And the thoughts that we think and the protein channels that they leave in the brain affect the body. 
so now they're saying more and more, and I, I think most of you probably know this intuitively, but most of the physical health problems that we see can be traced back to our thoughts in the spirit in one way or another. And the effects of sin, generational sin even, generational, you know, generational sin patterns, it affects health. Absolutely affects our physical health. And that's why, as Dr. Healy points out, Jesus came to heal both. I think precisely to show the relationship between the two. I don't know that I've ever heard a talk on that, but I think that'd be an interesting topic to explore. You know, Jesus came to heal both to emphasize the relationship between the physical and the spiritual world. That the one affects the other, absolutely. And you talk to any doctor who, who knows that a patient has a faith life and has people praying for them, how that affects recovery that, you know, tremendously. Positive thoughts, prayer, grace, mercy. I just watched uh, the movie Breakthrough. I don't know if anyone saw Breakthrough. It's a low-budget film, but, it, I mean, it's really touching how this little boy who was adopted fell through the ice in St. Louis, and he was dead. And his mom got to the hospital late, you know, after he had already died, and she just cried out from the depths of her heart for God to come and save her child. And next thing you know, his heart starts beating again. <laughs> and then the nurses and the doctors rush into the operating room. They're like, he's got a pulse. <laughs> oh, man. He came back. He came back. It's a true story. He was in a coma, and the doctor was like, oh, he's going to have brain damage. He's never going to walk again. He's never going to talk again. He's going to be a vegetable, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, two months later, he was back on the basketball court, you know. So explain that. It's the power of God, right? It's the power of God, the grace of God. So, let us pause now and take this time to reflect on this presence of God, this goodness of God in our lives. Let's just ask him again to help us be aware of his presence and his love, his grace, his mercy. And let's just pray that that would, again, wash over us and, and sink in to our hearts and prepare us to begin this journey, if, if you haven't begun it, and to continue on this journey of healing, of, of healing your relationship with God and with others and with yourself. Because that's ultimately what brings healing, it's relationships. And the primary relationship that we all are called to have is with God. And that relationship with God, that friendship with God, that experience of God's love and faithfulness, that's ultimately what heals. That's what heals our hearts. That's what fills our hearts. That communion, we listened to that song this morning, communion. God is bringing us back. We're returning. We're returning home. right? And we all know that this life is not ultimately what we're made for. We're all on a journey home, home to the Father's house. 
And that's another really good perspective to have. I don't know how much time we'll really be able to meditate on that, but it's worth mentioning now that, you know, our ultimate destiny is heaven. It's the Father's house. And again, that will help orient us throughout this life if we realize that I'm not made for this world. I'm made for heaven. And so no matter what I have to go through here, I know that there is a place that God has prepared for me that is absolutely wonderful and peaceful and loving and accepting and embracing. But God wants us to start experiencing that reality even here and now. He wants that for us. So let's pray that we can desire that more and more and and to come into agreement with the Lord that he does have a future full of hope for us, that he does have good plans for us, that he does have his very heart to give to us, his love to give to us, and that we don't have to earn that, we don't have to deserve that, but it's something that he wants to do for you.